All right, so we're in Romans 11. <clears throat> and it's a good, good message for us here tonight. It's a little complicated. But we'll try to simplify it. <clears throat> and we talked a little bit about this with Larry today. The idea here is that a lot of times God speaks in general terms concerning Israel and the Gentiles. And so, for example, Larry and I were talking about um, <clears throat> the Catholic Church today. <clears throat> and, and the idea, in general, the Catholic Church has false teachings. However, it doesn't mean because there's a Bible in the hands of many that the Word of God isn't drawing people to salvation through the book. And so here he says, I say then, verse 1, has God cast away his people? And so we were in the end of chapter 10 where God says in verse 19, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. And he, he talked about the rejection of Israel from the gospel, that they have rejected the gospel. And because of that, God has turned his attention to the Gentiles. And chapter 11 gives us the reason why he does, he does this. And so Paul starts with this initial commentary question, has God cast away his people? And the answer is certainly not. They are not permanently cast away. And Paul says, I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. So his testimony to the fact that it is possible for, even though God has shut the eyes of the Jewish nation as a whole in general, there are still individual Messianic Jews that come to know Christ. And Paul says, I'm an example of one of them. If he completely cast away all Israel from salvation... I wouldn't be saved. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. So he says, God has not cast away his people whom he fore, excuse me, whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets, torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. So now Paul uses the example of Elijah. When Elijah had went to the wilderness, this was the chapter after he had stood against the prophets of Baal. And then he went into the wilderness and basically wanted to die. And he wanted to die based on the fact that he really felt like he was all alone. There was nobody else but him. And verse 4 says... Um, but what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. So this is an encouragement that what you see in a general term and what we see in our children, our grandchildren, the world today, um, it's a strange time to live in. It really feels like the world is drifting away from God and going away from God. And yet, as Larry pointed out last week, that, that we see the miracle of Roe v. Wade. So we see that there's still God working 
And in a time where it seems, and this is what I really want to kind of hammer home here, is the hope of salvation for your loved ones when it doesn't look like it's possible. Elijah had it wrong. He was judging everything by what he could see, and he had no idea what God was doing. And so Paul says, is Israel cast away? Certainly not. You don't get like Elijah and start to get discouraged by what you see. Know that God is on the throne. Don't lose hope. God is always working. And he could be working on the ones you love the most. You know, and, and as we speak with Ryan, and he's a sweetheart and a, and a soft-hearted man, and but he's the world and the internet and, and psychology and all those things, they grip young people. And uh, that's where his head is out. But he's going to be 40 someday. And when you're 40, the world looks different. He's going to be 50 someday. And the world's going to look different. So, so we do not faint. We do not lose heart. We just keep praying, loving, and, and sharing. Um, verse 5 says, Even so... At this present time, there's a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, it's no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, but it is of works. It is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So then he talks about this election of grace. And he says, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace more abounds. And because we're not saved by works, even though the Israelites are relying on work, well, just look at Paul's own testimony. He relied completely on the works of the pharisaical laws. And he would arrest, persecute, and even murder those who spoke against it. Until what happened? God came to him in a light. And when Ananias said to God, do you know who this guy is? God says he's a chosen vessel of mine. And so as we keep preaching and sharing the gospel of hope and grace, God says, understand that no one comes to God by works, but by the election of grace. God draws them. And so that's what we pray. We pray for God to open the eyes of our loved ones, open the hearts of our loved ones, open the minds of our young people and our friends and our neighbors are you know uh liz was saying this week her brother cliff who we all met when he was out here and uh he's had uh, bouts with death i don't know how many times since he left here and and uh, when liz was out in michigan if you remember they went out there to make arrangements to turn off the machine and they were going out there to have a funeral for the guy, and he miraculously recovered. And so Liz said the other day, as he's back in the hospital, you know, what's it going to take? They pray and pray. And, and uh, so we don't know what he's thinking on the inside. Outwardly, he might be a little gruff, but you just don't know because it's the grace of God, and God has certainly, by his grace, given him life and breath to to come to know him and uh he's a man that i i really feel will come to know christ he just i just really believe that um so um 
Turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And this is a decent kind of companion verse to what we're talking about. But I, I didn't force it in here. But it was just such a blessing to me that I just wanted to share it with you. And it does, it's 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, and Paul, again, is writing to Timothy on this subject. And we're going to look at verse 8. He says, Therefore, <coughs> do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, brought life and immortality and light through the gospel. There's such hope in that, and he's, you know, Paul's in prison, and he says, don't be ashamed of the testimony of God, and don't be ashamed of me as a prisoner. He says, boy, we have been saved by his own purpose that he purposed before time began, that this plan of salvation for Jesus to come. It's just beautiful. It's not by works of man, but works of God. And this God who can create the universe can save the Apostle Paul. He can save anybody, anytime, any place. And that's the hope that we have for our loved ones. All right, let's go back to <laughs> Romans 11. So then uh, he's going to quote some Old Testament verses here from Psalm 69. And he says, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. So that's a really good verse. And it is... It, I've really been reading a lot of verses, and we talked about this morning, on the, the doctrine of works. It shows up in so many different uh, borderline false teachings of adding works to it. And so the problem is, in verse 7, Israel has not obtained what it seeks. Well, what's it seeking? They're salvation they're seeking salvation and they're seeking the messiah they're seeking the time when god raises the nation up to be the have their king and why aren't they going to find it they're not finding it because they're looking in the wrong places they're not looking to jesus and that's what we have in our culture today people are looking for the same things god offers the love joy peace, gentleness, kindness. You know, Liz and I shared today that, that you know, we can't <coughs> ever be shaken from what we know was a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing's going to ever change that. And so it's not about politics with Liz and I. It's about the word. And the the politicians that speak opposite to the word, we stand for the word, but it's not a Democrat Republican thing 
And so what's sad about it is, is the people are looking for love and joy and peace and all those things, but they're not going to find it. They're not going to find salvation outside of Christ. But the elect, us, born-again believers, we have obtained it. And the rest were blinded, just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, to this very day. So God is definitely dealing with Israel in a different manner. And this is a general statement. In general, Jewish people today are not affected as a whole by the gospel. It just seems to... Because if you imagine this, and this is something that bothered me early in my Christian walk, was I couldn't understand the Old Testament is so filled with Jesus. So obviously Jesus. From the virgin birth to Bethlehem to every Isaiah 53. And you would think that the majority of Jews who hold that Old Testament so dear that it would be very easy for them to see Christ, wouldn't you? And this verse explains why they don't. And that, that spirit of stupor um, is, uh, I wrote, there was, there was a, I read a definition of it from the Greek and Hebrew. It's being dead to spiritual things. That you're not against it, they just don't affect you. You don't see it. And we see that here. That when, when we hear the gospel, it had an effect on me. It was living and powerful, and it cut down to the, to the very core of my being. And that was uh, amazing. Uh, but it doesn't work that way with everybody. Uh, and, and that's that Psalm 69 prophecy. And David says, he says in verse 9, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bow down their back always. So there is a definite change in God's relationship with Israel during what we currently live in, which is called the times of the Gentiles. Uh, but it won't always be this way. And it doesn't mean that no Jewish person can ever become a Christian because we know they can. We know they can, and that's what Paul is saying here. And then he goes into a, a, a hope for the future. And he says a very interesting thing that kind of convicted me a little bit. Uh, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. So, so what's the difference between stumbling and falling? Stumbling is temporary. <laughs> Falling is you're on the ground. And, and so they are described here as stumbling, going through. Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. So Paul describes that, remember how Jews looked at the Gentiles in the Old Testament, how they saw the Samaritans and the Gentiles. So now God, because they rejected Jesus Christ, they rejected the truth. Remember, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first. And the Jews said what? In general, we don't want it. 
We want our law. We want our Pharisees. We're going to work for it. And God said, fine, I'm going to take this to the Gentiles. And I'm going to have a relationship with them like the world has never seen. And Christ is going to live within us. And we are going to be one with the Lord. And it is supposed to provoke Israel to jealousy. And verse 12 says, If their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches to the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you, Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are, are my flesh and save some of them. So what is Paul's desire here? It is not for the rejection of Israel. It is to bring those who would be provoked to jealousy by this relationship with Christ to salvation. So I wrote myself a note, and it simply says, Does my walk with God provoke others to jealousy? In other words, do I live such a life in Christ that my life it would be attractive? Do I have a sense of joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and, and uh, confidence and, and uh, that people are looking for that? And the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.15 that we are always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks the reason for the hope that is in us. And so it, it got me thinking that, that, uh, that I have found in this political turmoil of Christianity, I'm more grumpy than I used to be. And, and I'm angry at the way things are going. And now that's how the world is, isn't it? They're, they're low, they're, they're grumpy. What's that? It rubs off. And, and, you, and you have to, I tell you, uh, the word really encourages. But I tell you what, that internet just, it robs you of that. It tears it away. And so, so I, I, this is what I got out of this message most of all, was the idea that the purpose of God coming to the Gentiles is to show this amazing relationship of, of salvation and forgiveness. And then we go out about doing good, and people will... And it's a good jealousy. It's not an anger jealousy. It's, man... I'm working, I'm bringing my sacrifices, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And look at Paul, he's just joyful. They beat him, they throw him in prison. The guy still sings at midnight. What does he have? That's what I want. And uh, so, that is a, a key to this chapter. Um, and then he gives the Gentiles a pretty good warning in verse 15. He says, if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? He says, you know what? Their falling away brought Christ to be spread to all the Gentiles. Now anybody, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. So if their falling away brought such 
blessings. Imagine what's going to happen when they're restored. Imagine the blessings that are going to come when God puts all these things right. There's a real hope in the future. For if the first fruit is holy, verse 16, the lump is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Well, who's the root? Jesus. He is the vine and we are the branches. And in this particular case, Jesus is an Israelite. <laughs> and that nation of Israel through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that was the first fruit and everything built on what Christ has done. Well, if some of the branches were broken off, you being a wild olive tree, we weren't looking for religion or God, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. I remember early in my Christian walk, working with kids in Awana, and they would always sing the Father Abraham song. Uh, Father Abraham and many sons. And I didn't really understand what it meant because I wasn't Jewish. How is Abraham my father? Well, we understand this, that Abraham is the Abrahamic covenant, this promised seed, this promised salvation, the promised Messiah. That root, remember that, that uh, Jesus is called what is the root of the tribe of Judah. And he's the root of, of David. And he's connected and that root is Christ. And I was this wild olive tree, had no business with the Messiah. But because of some of these branches being broken off, God took us and grafted us in to the promises of Abraham and the promises of Isaac, promises of Jacob. <clears throat> but verse 18 is the warning. Do not boast against the branches. If you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So we as born-again believers cannot and should not boast against how, well, we're much better than the Jews, those Jews. I have, you know, someday I might get to the Holy Land and go to the Wailing Wall and go to those sites and... Um, I have great respect for the for Jewish nation and Israel and the Old Testament. And uh, God says, be careful that we don't get so haughty like, uh, well, we have the Messiah, you don't. And he's telling these Gentiles, be careful, don't get haughty because they are still supporting you. They are in a time of stupor right now. They're in a time of judgment and you're being used to provoke them. So... Be careful. Verse 19 says, You will say then, Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. But do not be haughty. Verse 21, For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. And we have seen haughty, prideful Christianity in our time. The Bible says not to neglect so great a salvation in Hebrews 2 3. Don't take it for granted. Appreciate it. Uh, stay connected um, and understand that this nation 
You know, I don't know what God's going to do with it. I don't know. This world. You look around this world and, and the hatred towards God around the world. He's a pretty patient Lord, don't you think? Long-suffering. And we come under that attack also. But remember, it's not us they're attacking. It's God. Um, Therefore, verse 22, consider the goodness and severity of God. What a great verse that is. If you remember when they were eating the little books in Revelation, and John was told to eat the book of judgment, and what was the taste of the book? It was bittersweet. It had a bitter and a sweet taste at the same time. And that's the wrath of God. It is, you know, to, to a stumbling block to the Jews, but it's salvation to the believers. And so this message, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. What a good news that is. But what's the opposite of that? Whoever does not call upon the name of the Lord will not be saved. So it's a bittersweet message and so he warns the gentiles that you right now are receiving the goodness of god to provoke israel to jealousy but consider the goodness and severity on those who fell severity but towards you goodness if you continue in his goodness otherwise you'll be cut off now if you don't follow christ and this is not talking about losing salvation it's talking about the general term of the, the church of the Gentile that, that if we decide and this is a danger to change everything and we do we have different you know somehow from Paul at this time in Romans we have somehow managed to create so many different denominations and so many different religions that connect to Jesus but aren't Jesus and he warns us to be careful because if, if he is gonna if he can cut off Israel who he loves, how much more will he cut you off if, if you as a church? I think it's it's a kind of the, the a general term for the Gentiles because individually we know we can't lose our salvation so but it also could be talking about those who if they don't continue in his goodness they were most likely never had it and so this idea of, of haughty religion and pride I think he's talking about there too yeah that's a great question um, verse 23 and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So, Don, this is definitely talking about an individual. And if, you know, if the Jews decided tomorrow that they, hey, we were wrong about Jesus, well, God, it's, it's the prodigal son, isn't it? And when the prodigal son was sent away, he learned that life without his father didn't work. And... So we have our loved ones and our kids and it's hard to see them and you pray for them but then you pray, you know, what's it going to take for them to be turned around but you pray that way because that's what you want more than anything. If you were cut off, verse 24, of the olive tree 
which is wild by nature and are grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So he's making that point again that that the Israelites are not completely cut off. And have you guys ever, I think we've had this years ago, but have you ever seen a presentation by a born-again Jew It, it it absolutely does, and when they are talking about the Passover feast, I've I've seen a presentation of that of every little. I mean, we just look at it as the empty chair that represents Jesus, and the bread is the bread of life. They get into it like you're right. There's such a connection. I think this verse holds that true. That were these wild olive branches contrary and grafted into this tree, we don't really understand. Father Abraham, I don't get it. But when a, a, a Jewish person, especially one who is knowledgeable of the Torah and the Old Testament, which they're very much better, they do a much better job of laying the foundation in their kids through the bar mitzvah and things like that. And they then add Christ to it. It all becomes so, it's just something. It's just something. Um, verse 25 I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come in. So Paul kind of finishes this with the idea that I, I'm telling you this because I don't want you to be ignorant, that there is going to be a, a time that's called the fullness of the Gentiles. So there's a phrase in the scripture, the times of the Gentiles, and when is that? Well, it starts in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus Christ ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit comes down. And then throughout the book of Acts, like we've been studying, the gospel begins to be spread throughout Ephesus and, and towards Gentile nations. And then the Jews are finally rejected by God and the Gentiles now become his main focus. And that will be until the Lord returns. And when the, remember, in the book of Revelation, and how we look at eschatology, it's different. But we do know the Bible speaks of 144,000 witnesses. And of those 144,000, are they Jews or Gentiles? They're Jews. There's 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. That was kind of how it began, that they felt like they were the... But then they went over 144,000, so they had to go back and rearrange and change their, their teaching. But that is absolutely right, Dolores. That's kind of where they clicked into that. Excuse me. So, we learn in verse 25... That we are simply living in what he calls the times of the Gentiles. And that's sometime going to be fulfilled. And it's just the time in history that we live. We live in a time where, uh, you know, did you ever think about, you know, your nationality, where you live, your time in history, and your privilege and responsibility of carrying on the church's 
call in the book of Acts and the end of Matthew. And uh, <clears throat> we just keep pressing on. And when the Lord returns, things are going to change again. Just like in various times he, we talked about this morning. We live in a time we recognize and acknowledge that he uses the foolishness of preaching. Preaching the word. Sharing the gospel. That's the methodology. Preach the word in season and out of season. That's the time we live in. And so, but he's letting these Gentiles know, look it, don't get haughty. Because this is all temporary. This time in which you are, you know, the apple of God's eye, so to speak, at this time. And so all Israel will be saved. What a statement that is. And that's the idea, again, in general, the nation. The nation is going to be, remember, Revelation also talks about Jesus being in the temple. And there's going to be a restoration, except he'll be there not sacrificing lambs. They won't be needed anymore. So this deliverer will come out of Zion, Jesus. He'll turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. The future is bright. Now concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. And that is a little f, so it's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So there's an interesting relationship that God still has elected Israel as its chosen nation. This is where the Messiah comes from. Now today, as far as the gospel is concerned... They're enemies of the gospel. Anybody who, who rejects Christ is an enemy of the gospel. But in general, the nation is not done yet. Verse 29 says, For gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God made some unconditional promises to Israel that he's going to keep. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet now have obtained mercy through their disobedience. And that's why we can't be haughty. It's only by God's mercy and grace, mercy and grace, mercy and grace, are we saved. Can't boast. That's why it's not of works, lest any man should boast. We don't do anything, and we still boast. We still take pride. Even so, those also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they may obtain mercy. It Remember the, when Peter went to Cornelius' house and he couldn't believe that the Holy Spirit would come upon Gentiles? They didn't believe it. And remember when they said, well, these Gentiles need to be circumcised if they're going to be Christians. The Jews had a really difficult time because they were God's chosen people for all of these years. And now Gentiles are, God is accepting them. That's the provoking to jealousy that happens. Even so, verse 31, these have also been disobedient that through mercy shown you they may obtain mercy. So the provoking is, God, if you're going to show mercy on the Gentile, that dog, if you're going to forgive them, could you forgive me? For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on them all. It's prodigal son. I, you don't want me? 
Fine, try it without me. Meanwhile, I'll go over here and work with the Gentiles and watch how they change, watch their lives. And that is only can be responded to with the last three verses which are so beautiful. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. You have no idea. And even in this message, this is why this chapter is hard. We can explain it in a simplified way of God dealing in this particular times of the Gentiles with the Jews one way and the Gentiles the other. But it's still unsearchable what he's doing. He is so much more merciful and gracious than we would ever imagine. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. I just like how he answered. He says, look, I'm going to let you guys know what's going on. Reveal this mystery to you so you don't get too prideful. And so you will appreciate the amazing grace and mercy of God. And that's what we've got to remember. Even during the tougher days, uh, as we pray for our loved ones, pray for our nation, uh, we are thankful for a long-suffering. Things are not as good as they used to be, but boy, they could be much worse. They could be much worse, and it's only by the grace of God they're not. Go ahead, Don. John, uh, verse 8. Yes. Yes. That is the God of this age is making reference to Satan. So that is, uh, I think, because of what we learn in Romans 11, it can be a Jewish person. It's any individual, because any even the Jews in this 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 stupor that God is, it's Satan that's doing the blinding. God is just taking his hands off it and allowing it. And so that makes reference to anybody who is not not a believer. It is Satan doing it's his lies. Has God really said did God just from like he did from the very beginning with Eve? And it's it's a battle between truth and light, isn't it? It's a battle between uh principalities, rulers of darkness that we talked about today. Yeah, that's that's a really good companion verse because it really uh, puts it together. That's that old question of you know, um, in in Job when when chapter two, God is kind of mad at Satan and talks to him about you know I can't believe you provoked me to let you do that you know, so he's holding uh, Satan responsible, but God could have held him back if he wanted to. You know, it's a it's a mysterious thing that relationship between those two heavenly father thank you lord for your mercy and your grace 
And God help us to completely embrace it, to not get boastful about it, not get prideful, realize that we are just little pawns in, in your complete sovereignty. We thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. We don't understand it, don't know why. You would show mercy. But we ask you, Lord, to show it to our loved ones, our family. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.